1: Most of us go to that place. And so, you know, what I always tell all the parents that I teach this to is even when you have 20% or 10% of an improvement compared to the way you used to handle it, um, that is huge. It's like a small miracle. Like it's like learning how to ski as an adult, but even more so, I mean, I always use that example because I've given up on learning how to ski as an adult, as an adult, and the three year olds are whizzing by me. So it's very difficult to change behavior. And so when we start to just incrementally. You know, do things just a tiny bit differently. Like, it's, we have to take the time to pause for applause for ourselves and say, like, this is kind of a big deal. I'm doing it just a little differently than my parents did it for me. And yes, I love the way you just said it's a symptom. So, in the heat of the moment, what I want everyone to remember is in the heat of the moment, what we're mostly going to be doing is doing things like the weighted blanket, calming our nervous systems down while we help our kids to calm their nervous systems down.
0: Welcome to All Things Parenting, where we introduce you to experts who share proven approaches to parenting, co-parenting, and step-parenting that we were never taught and need now more than ever. Parenting is one of the most important and difficult roles we take on. And even with married parents, it's by no means an easy job. Divorcing parents are faced with the added trauma of divorce, the overwhelming exhaustion from single parenting, the wide-ranging thorny challenges of co-parenting, and the monumental effort needed when you enter into a blended family with hers, his, ours, and all the exes. We need rock solid skills, approaches, guidance, and support. And that's what All Things Parenting is designed to offer. Welcome back to All Things Parenting. Today, uh, we're talking about effectively parenting your kids through and beyond the trauma of divorce. We often talk about a child-centered divorce, and while one or both parents may make every effort to do so, There's trauma for our children in the transition of divorce. And today we're going to look at our kids, quote unquote, bad behavior, what parents so often do under stress when frustrated with your kids and a nice framework, NIC, a nice framework that today's guest teaches that enables you to support your children's needs while setting effective boundaries, and ensuring that they feel heard and loved. Randy Rubenstein coaches parents raising strong-willed kids. Randy researched endlessly to find the magical resource that would help her own highly sensitive strong-willed child and has been passionate about bringing these resources to other parents for almost two decades. Randy's the founder of mastermind parenting, host of the longstanding mastermind parenting podcast and author of the parenting gap. I am so excited about today's conversation. Grab a pen uh, and listen in. Welcome, Randy. Thanks
1: for having me. So good to see you again. Yes, same here.
0: And we were talking offline. While you focus on strong willed children, this 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 um, framework of yours that you're going to share with us is really um, so foundational to just healthy relationships, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what everyone starts to realize when they, they start learning it. They're like, wait a minute, I think I just went through the NICE framework with my partner or with my boss or with my mother or with my son. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we start, we start with the squeakiest wheel, which is typically for many of us, our kid that is showing up with a strong will, which spoiler alert, all kids at some point, all healthy humans at some point, hopefully have strong willed behavior because They've got opinions about things. And if there's confusion and they're like, okay, something is not okay. And I can't verbalize it. I don't know what to say. And so I'm going to act on the outside the way I feel on the inside. And a lot of times, other people might label you that you're, you know, when you're an adult version of this, they might label you, if you're female, that you're a difficult woman. Right. Mm. Like the misogynists of the world are like, oh, she's, I heard she's difficult. Right. What? And so we do the same thing, unfortunately, with our kids. Oh, they, oh, they've such, oh, I have a strong willed child. And it's just like, well, that's healthy. They, when they act out with this strong will, they're basically just saying, hey, I have a problem I don't know how to solve. And I would really love your help. I don't know how to put that into words. So I'm just going to show you with this really difficult, annoying behavior that is probably going to trigger the ever living hell out of you. And it's really going to get your attention because that, you know, and that's just, I think it's just part of being a human. I think we all show up as those strong-willed people at some point or another.
0: Absolutely. And then for the mom and dad, for the parents going through divorce, you know we're a walking raw nerve, right? There, you're you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you're scared, you're you're wow. triggered. You're you've I love got the way you put, in your
1: head. I love the way you put things. I love the way you put things walking around as a raw nerve, like that says it all. It's like, you're on, you're on high alert. Like you, there's this raw exposed nerve. The whole family is going through this big tr- transition and you're worried. You're in fear. You don't want to screw up your kids. You know, you want to handle it just right. You're trying to be perfect. You're, you know, maybe you're super evolved and you're trying to talk about every, and then you're like too, it's like too much talking about feelings, you know? Right. And it's right. just this raw exposed nerve. So yeah, sorry, I had to jump in because I love that. Yeah,
0: no, thank you. And and then I think that the other piece that we all bring to the table is how we were raised. Um, and for some of us, it's like, that's great. I have a great guideline. And for other of us, that wasn't so great. So I have a great guideline of what not to do. But when you're triggered and stressed, the ability to navigate what's best for your kid is going to be really hard, and so that's why I'm so excited about this framework because it's such a beautiful framework, and it also, it's it's simple. You you're giving four not easy, but simple. You're giving four steps that will, if somebody adopts it, give them a path to go down whenever one of their children is struggling and showing up in a way that might be displeasing.
1: Yeah, I mean. It is it's great because it's like you know we always hear you know the the corny clichés kids don't come with a manual well parents don't come with a manual like learning how to be a parent learning how to navigate you know these difficult situations because guess what we're all on our own hero's journey I always say yeah. to people when life I, I, am I allowed to curse on your you go right ahead. You can. Okay. Cuss. I mean, when life serves you up the shit sandwich of the season, right? Uh, we're all like, oh And I'm like, "Hello. Welcome to being a human." Whoever wanted to read a book or watch a movie that it was like you were born, you had a beautiful childhood and everything worked out for you. Perfectly. The end, like boring. Nobody's staying around for that. We all have a story that's unfolding and we are going to go through these shit sandwich seasons. And so why don't we just, you know, make sure that we're prepared. And so here's this framework for whenever we have something that we're like, okay, this thing is a source of stress. And my kid's behavior right now is a source of stress. And I'm really worried we're going through this. So here, here's a framework to help you through all the little, I've never said this before, but help you through all the shit sandwich seasons, because (laughs) we're all going to have them. So we might as well be, you know, be prepared.
0: Right. And, and when you have a robust toolbox, and this is another tool we're inviting our listeners to put into their toolbox, when you have a robust toolbox and you can grab what you need when you need it, you can navigate the most bumpy winding path that you're on. And so before we dive into the framework, can you just share with our listeners, um, how you got into this particular, um, field of study and work and, um, and how long you've been doing it for?
1: Well, it wasn't intentional. I'll tell you that I, uh, I gave birth to, my oldest son, who just had his 25th birthday last Thursday. Happy um, birthday. Yes, he's officially uh, grown and flown. And and he came to me, you know, at now I know he was, he, he's highly sensitive. He had a highly sensitive nervous system. He was born and he cried a lot. And it was just like, Everything felt difficult. I mean, granted, I was also learning how to be a mom, and that's a huge transition that we all go through. And I don't think we talk about it enough. That it's rarely, you know, rarely do I ever hear with the first baby, "Oh yeah, I could just, you know, breastfeed, perfect." Everything just was. I said the most perfect. Sometimes people have the most perfect baby, and then they get slammed the second time with the around. Second. Yeah. Uh, But I got slammed the first time and um, everything felt difficult and I just started, you know, now I understand how I'm wired, which is when I have a problem to solve, which at the time it was a baby that cried a lot, like a lot, a lot and didn't seem happy. And so now I know when I have a problem solve I'm a fact finder, I'm an action taker and I'm a fact finder. So I research. And so I started reading books that like I never in a million years would have been interested in. I was just I was not on a self-help, self-discovery path. I was not a person that grew up from in a family where we went to therapy or um, we were numbers and avoiders and deflectors. And there was a lot of armor, right? Um, from the outside, I, I really looked like I knew what I was doing. But on the inside, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And why will this baby never stop crying? And what I also didn't realize is that I would have told you, you know, I have a really close family and my childhood was fine. It was great. My parents gave me a bat mitzvah, sent me to summer camp, paid for my college. I had a car, like all of the creature comforts were, I mean, we weren't rich, but it, my parents worked really hard. My mom was super ambitious. Um, and I, it was, there was stability, right? I didn't realize yet that I actually didn't have the happiest childhood and there was an unresolved trauma. There was a repressed trauma in my brain that I didn't even remember until right before my 40th birthday when my son was about 12. My oldest son was about 12. So I didn't even realize there was all this invisible trauma, really, running the show for me. So when I had this baby that wouldn't stop crying, I started pouring over books. I needed to figure out all these things about child development and how to get them on a schedule. And how do you get a baby to sleep? And, and I started reading things. My husband would like, look over at me. He's like, what are you reading? You're like pouring over it. Like you're cramming for a semester final. And I just was on a mission to happy this baby up and um and i i didn't even realize it right but i needed him to have a happier childhood than i had and i was not self aware i didn't know what was driving it but there was a wow. fire and a fierceness within me that i couldn't stop i couldn't stop just trying and trying and trying so when he was about 7 the one, uh, uh, there was a pivotal moment when he was about seven, and I had been pouring over this information. I had taken a parenting class with my husband when he was about three and a half, and then I had, you know, when he, I, I had, I, I had been searching and learning. And I'm the kind of person who, I now understand that I'm also a teacher. So when I'm learning something and it's really impactful and I'm excited about it, I have to talk about it. So my poor friends at the time. I'm not friends with very many of them anymore. And I understand why, because I was like shoving the learning down their throat. And they were like, yeah, I'm sure they were like, you're crazy. And I didn't ask for all this. So I was just so excited about all these things I was learning. And when he was about seven, I remember I was trying to talk to him about something and trying to problem solve something. And he looked at me and he screamed in my face, there's nothing wrong with me. And that was a pivotal moment because what he, what I I remember saying, like, of course, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect. You're, you're delicious. You're beautiful. What are you talking about? There's a, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. And he was like, he was so angry with me. And that was the moment I think where I had to realize I was treating him as if there was something wrong with him and I needed to fix him. And I oh, just got chills
0: like that mm-hmm. was that was must have been so here you are from just such a loving place trying to figure this out. And he's getting this message like you're broken and I need to fix
1: you. Yeah. And and he yeah. let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because you, because there's such little truth barometers and yes. these kids that are the most strong willed and very often highly, the highly sensitive ones, they're like sponges, they're picking up on everything. And so no matter how much I was trying to just love him up and happy him up and, and give him this beautiful childhood, he felt, he felt my anxiety. He felt all the things that I wasn't necessarily verbalizing, but he felt it all. And that was a big shift for me. And and at that point, I started to kind of shift into learning more about myself. I think that mm-hmm. that was around the time that I I found Brene Brown, which was a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. And she lives in Houston. And I just happened upon her. She was like speaking at my synagogue. I mean, if oh, wow. she was. Yeah, was it before was before she was. Before all that. that before. So I, I got her first book and I heard her speak in my synagogue to like 40 people. And I realized it was, you know, it, it was, it was interesting. And then I started learning this program called conscious discipline, which is really, um, a a program for teachers to help them deal with difficult behaviors and manage the kids in their classroom. And I started to learn about that. And there were just a lot of twists and turns. But before you know it, my kids were at a small private school. I became the resident expert because, again, I have to shove what I'm learning down everyone's throats. Um, But I actually started to channel it um, in a professional, you know, down a professional path. And I realized pretty quickly that I had a little bit of a gift for teaching these concepts through story because I was practicing all the things I was learning in my household. So every week when I would show up to teach, I had a new story from my own life. And usually it was not like, listen, how perfect my life is and how well I got it. It was more like, look how I screwed this up and what I realized afterwards. Right. Right. And so I realized that that, that humility and us os- and, and honesty, you know, it was all coming from such an authentic place. Um, it really resonated with people. And so that's really where it all kind of started in the foundation of what now is mastermind parenting. Um, but yeah, so I feel like this kind of found me instead of yeah. me finding it and, uh, yeah, it's my passion.
0: Yeah. It's funny how that happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to just take one piece of your story and just um, uh, speak to the listeners. That piece of children being um, having receptors, being having such a sensitivity to the energy, and so you know, we have clients where it's like, no, the kids don't know. We don't we don't yell or argue in front of them. And and for those listening, just to trust that. If you went through a divorce, there's tension in your house. And if there was tension in your house, your children felt it um, and and experienced it. And so um, it's going to inform their their reactions and their behaviors and their belief systems. And so let's jump into this framework because I think it's going to really help um, our listeners pivot in how they handle uh, their children through this process. Love it. Your friends and loved ones deeply care about you. But if you're honest, while they mean well, when it comes to your divorce, they just don't get it. And sometimes you leave those conversations feeling even more isolated. If you're lonely and craving connection and support, check out our high conflict divorce support group, where an intimate group of 12 people gather from the comfort of their homes to hear, see, and encourage each other while our JBD team of coaches provide emotional support and practical guidance. There's no reason to take this journey alone. If you've been yearning for support, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash H-C-D-S-G and register today. Refer to it as the NICE framework, N-I-C-E. I'm going to just hand it over to you. Can you kind of give us give us a, an introduction into
1: it? So, okay. So I, I named it NICE because it's sort of tongue in cheek. I don't think NICE is an adjective any parent ever, you know, de- I, I, I've never heard it used as an aspirational parenting adjective. Oh, I really just want to be a NICE parent mom. I just really want to nice. be a nice parent. Cause I think that sounds like you're going to be a pushover. And, right. and I think it's interesting because quite often we're telling our kids to be nice. You know, when they're too when they're little teeny tiny and they're pulling the dog's hair, be nice to the dog, be nice, be nice right. to your sister. So we're telling them all the time to be nice. And yet quite often we don't think that, We need to be nice. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I am much more inclined to want to learn things from people that are nice to me versus people that are mean to me. And just because you're nice does not mean that you're a pushover or you're a doormat. You are still the parent. You're just going to be civilized about things. And so when we have kids that are showing up with difficult behaviors, um, I think quite often, We are most often will feel anxious about it, right? Because all any parent wants is for their kids to thrive in life. We want them to be healthy and happy and successful and all the things. So when you have a child that is not thriving, that is showing up with difficult behaviors, I think our anxiety quite often causes us to want to shut it down or tell them what they need to do or correct it. And most people come to come in and they're like, okay, so what would the appropriate consequence be? (laughs) Everyone wants to start with the consequences. And what I tell people is I do believe in consequences done the right way. And consequences come at the end of my framework. And most often, we solve the issue, whatever that particular issue is, we solve it before we even get to the consequences. So the N stands for basic needs, okay? N is needs. So we're always gonna be assessing basic needs when we have a kid that's that's showing up with difficult behavior. So when we have a problem, let's say the problem is, like give me a, a, a if you can think of something, typical that one of your, that somebody going through divorce would be dealing with, like what would be something that they would have, the parent would have anxiety, like a a kid behavior, you know, something that's typical. You know,
0: so I'll say, because we work with so many um, clients who are going through a high conflict divorce, a lot of times uh, their, their child can be acting in a way that, Um, that they've either learned because they've seen mom or dad so they could be they could be nasty they could you know be verbally hurtful or disrespectful Mm -hmm. and defiant so let's let's take that scenario okay so
1: yeah so like so like a lot of volatility um maybe in words maybe in you know like they might be destroying, they get angry and they, they throw things, they destroy things or they hit people. Okay. So I think violence is something that most people aren't really talking about. They're definitely not creating any social media posts when their kids are being violent. And I think It's happening in so many homes. So you have a kid that's violent. And I think that is very, very uh, anxiety and fear fear invoking for parents because no parent ever wants their kid to grow up to be the lunatic, you know, and to take their violence out on other people. And so it's really scary for parents. So when we have a kid that's showing up with, with that kind of behavior, we typically just want to shut it down. Right. And yes. And when we're when we're truly thinking about how do we solve the problem? Now, what I want to say is is when there is violence, first and foremost, your number one priority is always safety. So you do, you know, you do make sure that you keep the people in the home safe, including yourself. So if you have a kid that is showing up with a whole lot of, you know, violent behavior, they're hitting. They're destroying. It is your job as a parent in that moment to, to, and I, I'm not going to use, I'm going to say the word restrain, but I don't like the word restrain because we're not pinching. We're not squeezing, but a child that is violent, we are bear hugging them from behind. We are holding their body. And I want you to think about yourself like a human weighted blanket where you're calming their nervous system in that moment. You're not adding any extra input because a child that is violent is basically in fight or flight. And it's it's kind of like if you think about like I have this car metaphor for the way I explain the brain. When you're in the trunk, when you're in fight or flight, when you're in survival, you're in the trunk of your brain. It's like the mafia. Just they, they you know, they kidnapped you. You're in the trunk and you are fighting for your life. Like you feel like you're gonna die. It's a, it's a matter of survival. So any extra input, it'd be like saying to someone in the trunk, "Hey." Why don't you see if you could just take some deep breaths in the trunk and um, and maybe you have some, maybe if you feel around in there, there might be some kind of a tool and you could then see if you, there's a way to unlock the, like they, that person would be like, are you fucking kidding me? Get me out of here. I'm about right. to get murdered. So right. we cannot add any extra input when we have a kid that is in a violent place All we can do is ground them and ground their nervous system to get them to safety. So just know your role in that moment is survival and safety. So you're going to hold on to them. You're not going to add any extra input. You're going to breathe. You're going to talk about maybe calming your body down. Whoa, this just got intense. I'm feeling really worked up inside. I'm just going to sit here. I have nowhere else to be. I'm just going to sit here with you and we're just going to calm our bodies down together and I've got you. I've got you. I'm right here. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. Peter Levine, do you have you ever studied Peter Levine? I, I have not. So he 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 wrote a book. He's like one of the trauma, you know, experts out there and he wrote a book um something about waking the sleeping tiger. And he really talks about this for when somebody in is in um, a state of fight or flight in a survival state that you just sit with them and you're basically allowing them to go through what they need to go through. And you're letting them, you're assuring them. I'm right here. I'm right here. I've got you. I'm right here. I'm right here. So once you get that person, your child out, you know, they, the violent, episode has passed and then you're thinking, okay, I got to get underneath what caused this violent episode. Most often we just start to go to the consequences and we start to just attack the problem. You know, you can't do that. It's not okay. You may not speak to me that way. You can't throw things. This is our home. It's not okay to hit people. We want to correct, right? We want to go to that correct place. And we, and, and consequences costs come last. First, we have to start by assessing the basic needs, which is sleep, food, connection, so, when we're solving this problem, when we're figuring out why is this violent behavior here, we have to first look at why did my kid go into this play, this state of fight or flight? Um, so, I just want to, I just want in, to inject here because I'm just fascinated by this. So,
0: and it's bringing back my son's twenty six. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just brought back so many memories. I was raised um, in a single mom household with two sisters, there were more holes in my walls at home. And I was so ashamed. This was after my divorce and my son was the walking raw nerve and he was a big, strong young man. And you just said something that's that I want to highlight. The problem is not the behavior. The symptom is the behavior. And I was addressing the symptom and I was giving consequences to the symptom because it scared the hell out of me because I just left a really hostile relationship. And now I have this little person, 10, 12, 14 in my household, um, he took a bat to our aluminum siding. He took my laptop and threatened to throw it across the room when, like, it was my entire business. He would go after his little sister. And he was so hurting. Mm. And so I did everything wrong. Um, I'm listening to you, and and I saw the behavior as the problem, but I think in what you're about to talk about is the behavior was the symptom. Yeah. And and so what What are we looking for to get to the root of the problem?
1: Well, it's, you know, you're a hundred percent right. And look, most of us do it wrong because we're going to do especially when we're in fear, right? We're not in our thinking brain. We're not in that place of, oh, I think I'm going to problem solve right now. This is exactly the state I want to be in. When I go take that, take the SAT or the GMAT, right? Like, like. That is not when you're your smartest self. And so when we're in that triggered state, what we have to remember is that, of course, you showed up as a human and you did what you knew, what, what, what your conditioning was, right? Which was like, there were holes in the wall. You got volatile. When people were in fear, they got violent and they wanted to maybe control other people. They wanted to shut it down. And so we have to have grace for ourselves in that most of us go to that place. And so, you know, what I always tell all the parents that I teach this to is even when you have 20% or 10% of an improvement compared to the way you used to handle it. Um, that is huge. It's like a small miracle. Like it, it, It's like learning how to ski as an adult, but even more so. I mean, I always use that example because I've given up on learning how to ski as an adult, <laughs> as an adult and the three-year-olds are whizzing by me. So it's very difficult to change behavior. And so when we start to... Just incrementally, you know, do things just a tiny bit differently. Like, it's an, it, we have to take the time to pause for applause for ourselves and say, like, this is kind of a big deal. I'm doing it just a little differently than my parents did it for me. And yes, I love the way you just said it's a symptom. So, in the heat of the moment, what I want everyone to remember is in the heat of the moment, what we're mostly going to be doing is doing things like the weighted blanket, calming our nervous systems down while we help our kids to calm their nervous systems down. And we're going to be able to look at things after the moment has passed and we are able to be back in the driver's seat of our brain. We're not in the trunk anymore We're not fighting for our life, right? So when we're looking back at your son who's threatening to throw the laptop, you know, the aluminum bat, you know, later you get yourself to a place of calm, you get him to a place of calm, and then you think about it. What was underneath this behavior? I first want to look at basic needs. Was he, were we having a day where he was, it was a Monday, he you know, we had a weekend where I was trying to be the fun mom because I'm trying to get him used to our new normal and we don't have like angry dad around yelling at us. So we like stayed up till two o'clock in the morning watching movies. And then he's still young enough kid that he got up at the crack still. And he got up at seven, he was on five hours of sleep. And we then had all these plans and we were going and blowing. And frankly, he was exhausted. And when I told him, when I reminded him to do his homework or it was his day to set the table or to help me like he lost lost his shit because he was, you know, exhausted people suck. All of us do. So if it's a basic need, like I had an exhausted child, but I'm over here worried that like, he's so traumatized. He hates me. Our family's been broken up and your guilt and your shame or whatever it is, or your processing is, you know, you're making it into some whole big thing. When the truth was, you may have just had a super exhausted kid or a hormonal teenager who was starting to, you know, and and was needing more sleep but wanted to hang out with his friends. So we want to assess basic needs, which is sleep food and connection because i think quite often we make things so much more complicated than they actually are right and so let's get back to the basics let's rule the basics out first you know if i have a kid that's acting out of picking on his younger sister because frankly we've lived in a i was in a state of survival for all these years and the way he got mom's attention was using younger sister as a punching bag you know mm-hmm. So that could have been a pattern. So it could be connection. It could be he's acting out because that's what he's been doing since he was three years old. And he's gotten my attention for a really, and and little kids don't care if it's positive or negative attention. It's all, all attention attention. matters. Right. So if, if at 13, he's picking on younger sister, well, it's that This is the pattern that he uses when he actually is looking to connect with me and he really needs me to, you know, take the time. So we want to, you know, so often, and that's why basic needs comes first is because quite often we solve the problem and we figure out what was really going on just in the end wing of the framework.
0: Yeah and I want to share as you're saying this um having gone through a 12 step program one of my favorite um slogans to share with clients is halt H A L T and it stands for hungry angry lonely tired. Yeah. Yes. So which are all your basic needs. So if your basic needs um if if you're triggered and you go oh I'm out of sleep I'm starving I just yes. got triggered right i'm I'm lonely, I'm isolated. Um the the concept is pause, halt. Um like don't engage because you're you know, you're a firecracker ready to go off. And so you're saying in in your nice, that the first thing is, okay, and I love that idea of the weighted blanket. just just be, just slow it down, just calm yourself down, calm your child down. Do not verbalize. They're not going to hear it anyway. They're as good as deaf. They're in their amygdala. It's going to sound like wah wah wah. So don't bother. So then, okay. So we follow that. We like calm them down. We start assessing. And do you have? Is there something you can say to a parent? I know you have a whole program on this, but that assessing—is it a conversation with the child? Is it more of a? what's the pattern that I see? Because I think that's an important piece. Like, how do I know what my daughter's needs are versus my son's needs or my more expressive child versus my quieter child?
1: I think when we're looking at basic needs, we're first making, we're like um, um, creating hypotheses in our minds, Mm. right? And so, um, because a kid very rarely is going to say, yeah, actually I'm exhausted.
0: I mean, right, right. once That's you've been, I
1: mean. once you've been doing this for a while, once your kids are a little bit older and like the teenage, you know, years after something has gone sideways and you kind of come back into it because in, you know, let me just save this real quick. What the acronym actually stands for is needs investigate, communicate, enforce. Okay. We assess basic needs. We investigate behavior. We communicate using um, what I call pack leadership, which is that assertiveness where we show up, we are the parents, we are the assertive ones. So like when you're, you know, when you're being that human weighted blanket, you are have to show up with confidence and pack leadership. Like I got you. Like I've got a kid that's in fight or and I'm not going to ask you what you need. I am that, you know, firm pack leader that makes people feel safe and protected mm-hmm. and loved. And, and so when you're that human weighted blanket, you're like, I am woman, hear me roar. I have got this. I have got you. And so you have to show up with, the, and that does not, that's a lot of what I do, especially with my moms is because most women were not conditioned with that skill set, right? What we are conditioned with is the other part of my C wing, the communicate wing, which is empathy, right? Where a lot of times we're, we can see other people's perspectives. We do get it. We have been there. And so the empathy piece usually comes pretty easily. And this is obviously stereotyping for most women. The pack leadership piece doesn't come as easily and these are both skills when married together that we can practice and we mm-hmm. can get really good at. Um, they will change how you are perceived. They will change, you know, having these skills changes the way you get along with other people, how other people see you. It will change every one of your relationships. It's just the most amazing thing. And then the E part of the NICE framework is enforce Consequences, which the way, conse- the way I teach consequences, it's not punishment. Consequences are always logical and related, and quite often natural, and sometimes just involve like you not running the the homework or the lunch up to school because you got a kid that forgets it every single day. And so you have to allow the natural consequence of they're going to get the bad grade or go hungry at lunchtime and have to scramble because this is going to be the thing that's going to impact their brain and it'll help them to be more responsible. Right? So, um, so yeah, so when we, so we, we go through each letter and quite often You know, the issue is solved. The issue might be solved by, you know, if you're assessing basic needs and you're like, huh, let me look, was he tired? If I ask him if he's tired, especially if he's still tired, chances are he's going to be like, I'm not tired. You know, whether it's a little. So you're like, okay, what did we do this weekend? So yeah, you're throwing hypotheses out there. You're in your thinking brain. It's after the fact, you're looking back over and you're like, okay, and what about, um, like what was going on with food. If you have a kid that, you know, is just living on crap. Um, it very well may be that they're going through sugars, sugar highs and lows. And a lot of times it is the connection piece. If it's a kid that is used to getting a lot of your attention through being super difficult, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, um, that it might just be, okay, I need to make sure that, I'm going to go in tonight, you know, and I'm going to have an extra 10 minutes and I'm going to lay with my child and I'm going to, I mean, even with my teenage son, I remember when my older son, who's now 25, was going through a difficult time when he was a teenager. He wanted like, I call it the talk to the hand phase. He wanted nothing to do with me. And I started this like thing where I was like, okay, everyone, I'm going to put lavender on your feet. At night, because, you know, I've always been a little bit of a sleep Nazi. I was like, because I've heard, I just read a study that it helps everyone just in there like, okay, what's her latest ridiculous scheme? But I really did that because it was a masquerade, you know, I was like, I I was masquerading my need to connect with him because I could tell he'd been really surly and I needed to touch him. I needed to have a reason to be in his room that didn't make him think that I was trying to fix him once again. And so Mm -hmm. I come in and I'd be like, time for your lavender foot massage. And he, even though he was surly, even though I was the last person on his list, he would kick that, big giant <laughs> foot and hairy leg. He was like 16 out of his covers and he just let me massage it and I would connect with him. And, and as I was massaging it, before you know it, he'd like start telling me about something and then we'd have a moment to connect and that, you know, and so so you're really, and, and that improved a lot of his behavior towards me because he was missing that connecting and he wouldn't have known it. I had to be the one that kind of figured that out.
0: Yeah, I I just love this. I love the tuning into basic needs um and uh and the communicating and it's amazing especially before our teenagers go to sleep. I too have found that that's such a beautiful time to connect and their guard is a little bit more down and and then once you have that connection, that foundation of trust, um That makes such a big difference in the relationship going forward as well, doesn't it?
1: So good. I mean, it just feels everyone in the world. It's like, do you see me? Do I matter? And so Mm. when we show up and we're just there, you know, I mean, I think that's why the foot massage was good because he was used to me, you know. Having a lot of, you know, I was teaching parenting classes for however many years. I was teaching classroom management classes to teachers. So I had a lot of tools in my toolbox, but he was on to me. So if I just showed up in his room and I was like, oh, did anything, what was your rose and what was your thorn of the day? He'd be like, nothing. He was on to me. So I needed to like, it was like, I needed to, to connect in a nonverbal way, which was really hard for me. Right. And, and so I had to be kind of creative, but the thing is, is that when your intention truly is to connect, not to teach your kid, just this thing, or get all the scoop out of them or to, you know, when it really is, I just want to be close to you and I just want you to be close to me and that's your intention. And they feel it, Mm -hmm. Well, that just feels good for everyone. I mean, just beautiful things come from that, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the thing that I'm hearing through this process is from 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 the weighted blanket, the calmness in the beginning to the investigating and trying to understand what the behavior is communicating to this communication is just such a solid foundation of trust, like a safe space. That's what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. is that and parents, you know, we're triggered You know, if you haven't, if you've either been raised really leniently or really strict, we often like swing in the other direction. So here, you know, we're just doing what we know or what we don't know. And you're describing something that creates a safe container. And as a relationship and divorce coach, what I'll say to the listeners is the safer a container you create for your children now, the more likely they'll end up in a healthy relationship when they when they're adults. And so it really isn't just valuable while raising them, but it just, it creates a, a beautiful foundation for their own adult intimate relationships. Oh,
1: a hundred, I mean, they learn by what we model. So, you yeah. know, and so, um, and it's never too late, right? Like if there was a volatile household, I mean, you and I have talked about this, which is, I I I often say like even though I'm not divorced and um and I do have a healthy marriage I am so pro divorce. Me and my husband both say that that like we're so pro divorce because um if you're living in a volatile situation or a situation that doesn't feel healthy and that's just filled with tension and um and then there's two homes there's a much higher likelihood that at least one of those homes is going to is going to feel healthy is going to feel better for everyone living in it and so i just think that you know if you've had the courage to get out of a situation that was really not working for anyone and to create a new home a healthier home um like that's going to feel so good for everyone. And it's really a chance to, to, to make a new start, and to make a new life. And, you know, when I've witnessed, um, like, you know, moms that I've worked with go through a divorce and so been able to support them through it before I knew about you, because now I'm like, I mean, I love a collaborative team. Now I'll be like, listen, this is who you need to go to. Um, I, you know, we're creating, what is their new normal look like? Right. And I remember there was this one mom and she, I said, I said, okay, you're working all day. You're doing all these things. I said, why? And this is your home. What I said, I said, what if you, part of the bedtime routine became, your kids got to come and lay in your bed and read their books. And you could finish up on those final work emails. And y'all all had this time in the bed where you're not having to go to first your daughter's room and then your son's yelling, where well, are you ever going to come in here? And she's running back and forth and she's running back and forth and she's not done until nine 30. And then she still has to catch up on those work emails. I was like, let's change the way you're ending the day and They get to be in there with mom in her space. And you're like, I just got to return a few emails, but I want to have you guys here next to me. Y'all read your books. Then we'll all get to snuggle. And then we'll all get to bed at a much more decent time. She's like, yeah, that feels a lot better. Love that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, you don't have to be over there doing, being perfect mom. This is perfect mom. You get to create your new normal and you don't have to run it by anyone. You're the boss of your household it's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And,
0: and I want to just touch on that, that last piece, um, that you referenced the enforce when, when I was struggling with my, my son's behavior and I hired a, a behaviorist therapist, um, and one of the things he said to me, he said two things to me that, um, now seem so like common sense, but they they completely blew me away. One was. Let him go to school in December without a jacket on, Karen. Yeah. And and the the big message was and I ended up raising my kids the rest of the time they were under my roof. This way was when you can let life's consequences. um Take care of like, let your allow your child to learn from life's consequences. So so he's going to he's going to catch a cold. He's going to be really freezing. You're not nagging. You're not yelling. And what's going to probably happen. And he's going to say, oh, when the temperature goes below such and such a point, I'm better off wearing a jacket and. And the same thing, I mean, I had both of my kids in their teens, right? They went out and they got drunk for the first time. And it's like, I remember sitting there thinking there's a hundred consequences I could give them, or I could hold my daughter's hair, let her vomit in the toilet. um, And then bring kindness and compassion to the situation. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, when she's actually reconnected to her brain, we can talk about what happened. And we did the dangers of being at a, a football celebration and not being totally conscious and coherent and what could have happened to her. And it was so much more valuable in terms of the lessons that the kids learned, the connection and safety and trust that was built between me and them. And so that became a real guiding um rule for me is whenever life's consequences can deliver the message, I don't need to heap my parenting consequences on top of that.
1: It's so beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like, why do we make ourselves bad cop when we don't need to be, we can be good cop. Like you got to be good cop and she got all the learning and you got to be her mom and on her team and nurturing her and loving her and also holding her accountable. Like the accountability yes. is, we're going to talk about this. Like, you you know, I'm so glad I, you know, I got to receive you home and, and you're okay. And that's, what's most important. And we're going to talk about, like, it could have gone a very different way. Yeah. And um, and so you get to love her and guide her and nurture her and be nice about it. But also, I'm not going to shy away from having this conversation like we're going to have Absolutely. this conversation. We're just going to do it in a loving way. You know, and I'll tell
0: you as I'm thinking about this, because, you know, my kids are like yours um in their mid 20s. But I remember a lot of their friends coming to me because I was a safe parent. And so they would come to me and tell me things that they couldn't tell their parents. Um, and not because I was this cool, do anything you want kind of parent, but that, that there was a trust, there was a safety there. And so I had numerous of both of my kids come and, um, And I was able to support them and 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 hold space for them and and that compassion. And so I love, love, love this format to be able to slow it down, be the safe person, look at not the symptom, but the root cause, find out what their needs are, um, communicate, not always verbally. I love your story of just rubbing lavender on your son's feet. Uh, And then when possible, let life's consequences teach them.
1: Um, Can I I use your drunken teenage story to kind of (laughs) go through the the framework a little bit, just so that might even be a little more clear for listeners. So if we have a child that, you know, you receive your child home and she's drunk and you hold her hair back, right? So, you know that is not the time to give her any extra input. Like she's not in the brain state to receive any learning, any wisdom. All you can do in that moment is just show up and make sure she's safe, right? Safety first. So the next day when you go back to revisit and to really talk about, you know, you're investigating, you know, so you go into what was, you know, let's talk about, you know, what happened last night, look, I was a teenager once too. And even frankly, since I was a teenager, there have been nights where I drink way more than I intended on drinking and I regretted it. So there is no judgment going on here. I've been there. I understand it. Sorry. Hey. So I just want to be clear that I just want to understand what led to these decisions. Mm -hmm. And she might shut down, right? Because she's a teenager. And so she might worry that she's getting in trouble and she might shut down. And you might say, no, no, no. I Look, this is not going to be your first rodeo you're just getting into this. You're going to, you still have the rest of high school. You have college. There's going to be lots of times where alcohol is going to be there and you're a teenager, right? So I want to just like, I just want to look at this situation with you so that you can say, well, the next time I'm going to be more prepared. That's all. And, 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 and she might say, and you, and again, I've been there before. I get it. So when you're investigating, this is where you are going to include her, where you want to know, you know, where, was this a party where you, you know, were you a little nervous? Were you uncomfortable? And it might, you know, what might come out of that part, she might, she might tell you, well, you know, I don't always hang out with the football players. And, you know, I was there because Cece invited me and I kind of felt awkward. And you're like, yeah, there's a reason people call alcohol liquid courage. This is... Yeah, it made you probably. And then you started drinking. And before you know it, like what happens is, is you drink and it takes a little bit for your body to register. And before you know it, all of a sudden you're just like really drunk, you know, and um, because you don't realize the waiting period. And so that, yeah, many of us have made that, have had the exact same thing happen. I get it. So, When you're investigating, you're in, you're, you're, you're including her. You're helping her to kind of connect the dots of why she made this choice. We're not hammering her, you know, and making her feel even worse. We're constantly, you know, bringing in elements of the C wing, the communicate wing where we're empathizing. Look, I, most of us have made similar choices. Many of us have a similar story, right? I get it. Me too. I'm not judging you. All of that is empathy. And the pack leadership, you know what you're bringing in during this, which is part of that communicate wing, is when she is like, "I don't know, Mom. Mom, it's I, look, I won't make the decision again." Let's say she shuts down. The pack leadership would be. Whoa, 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 you're not in trouble, baby. You've already suffered the consequences. It's no fun to be hungover. And if you're grown up enough to make grown up decisions like drinking alcohol, then you're grown up enough to have a conversation with your mom the next day and really look at what led up to this decision and how it played out so yeah. you bring that pack leadership which is like I'm not just letting you off the hook we are talking about this we are looking at this right. and 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 if we needed to move into the enforced consequences well i think we all know the natural consequence is it sucks to be hungover and she's going to experience that But if you have these conversations and you handle it like this, and then you notice that your daughter is getting drunk, you're having this same episode weekend after weekend after weekend, then you'll realize, okay, I'm going to have to have an actual consequence that goes beyond just being hungover. And she needs more accountability because she's making these impulsive decisions time and time again. And I need her to understand she's putting herself in harm's way. So I'm going to have to have a consequence and the consequence may end up being, look, we're just going to have Saturday nights in um, for the next month. And, um, and really give you a chance to kind of regroup, recenter and, and remember this body that is a precious temple and it is not to be treated like yeah. this, yeah. right? I've done, I've worked my butt off up until now, keeping you safe and healthy. And now you're going to college in a few years. And so I need to make sure you understand how precious you are and that you're treating yourself responsibly. So we're going to, we're going to stay in for some Saturday nights for a bit.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's perfect. And, and for those of you listening, cause I know you're there and you have, let's say alcoholism, um, or even a family tree that's dripping. Um, th- that was part of the conversation too, with both of my children. Uh, part of it was, um, you know, certain people drink because they're socializing and certain people are kind of predestined Mm. to drink because it numbs you and you can avoid things. And we actually have a family tree with a disease. And so your slope is a little slipperier. And again, when you're having this entire conversation, that's not, drenched in judgment and condemnation you're only 15 years old and who the hell do you think you are and that's never going to happen again and you're my mom you're i was grounded for the rest of my life more times than i can remember so so when you use this framework it's just a beautiful setup for a beautiful relationship is what it sounds like to me
1: i I think so. And like you said, look, I teach a 12-week program that goes more in depth on this framework. So this is a broad overview. Um, But the most critical part really is in the C-Wing, I teach something called productive conversation. And it really Mm -hmm. is a format for how to have a productive conversation, right? So that like we, so we learn from we're all going to make mistakes. What's that's part of being a human. If you're not right. making mistakes, you're not growing. I mean, that's right. that's just the deal, right? We all are going to be teenagers or 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 adult people who are triggered as if we're still teenagers. Right. Um we're all going to have Crappy judgment some of the time. And when we start to adopt that growth mindset where we're like, yeah, we're gonna make mistakes and then we're gonna revisit and look at them mm-hmm. and we're gonna problem solve and we're gonna hopefully not repeat the same mistake over and over and over again. We're just gonna we're gonna learn what was going on for me, what was coming up for me. Um, and I think when we do this with our kids, when we show up practicing this skill set as parents well we start to practice this skill set with ourselves so then all of a sudden instead of like oh wait I wasn't going to eat sugar and why by the middle of January was I back on like what happened I was doing so well what happened I suck I I never follow through with anything I'm so disgusting you know we talk to ourselves in these ways but when we start to practice these skills as parents cuz we want more for our kids Then we start to practice them in our own life where it's like, okay, I was doing really well, but then I fell off the third, what was going on for me? The third week of January, was I stressed? Was I like, did I not plan? did I have functions? I need to look back at my calendar and realize what exactly happened where I fell off, you know? And so it just is a, it's a new way to, to approach problem solving.
0: Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, I love it. So would you tell us a little bit more about your 12 week program and how people can find out more about it?
1: Uh, So my 12 week program is basically what we do is we unpack this nice framework and it, you know, parents come in who typically have at least one strong willed child or a child that is displaying strong willed behavior, which is all kids there you go. Um, And, and we unpack each wing of the NICE framework for three weeks. So they, we really go in depth on, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, I would say the majority of people come in and sleep is a mess in their household. And, they don't even know where to start. And so, you know, when it comes to the basic needs piece, but really all of it, you know, we do a lot of nurturing and handholding because what we find is that people come in and they're overwhelmed. If you're living yes. with a child displaying like your son, you know, if you're t- living with a child who's threatening to throw your laptop, you know, your work right? Like your livelihood out the window or whatever, and taking a baseball bat. Um, it's a scary place to be and you're overwhelmed. And so, so our process really involves a lot of nurturing, a lot of handholding. There's a way that, you know, I have, it's a, it's a hybrid between personalized and group coaching. And I do it that way for a reason, because I find that there's Some a lot of power in community and knowing you're not the only one, Um, learning from each other's scenarios. Um, But also there has to be a personalized approach. You know, I really pride myself on, I am the coach. I have a team of people who support me and I get to know each and every person that comes into our program. I remember ridiculous things about their stories, because I find everyone so fascinating. And it's just like a, it's just like this nurturing 12 week cocoon, so that you can emerge in a totally different place and and really know that your family is moving in the right direction. And you are building those beautiful relationships. Beautiful. So the and best, you actually, yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, I was going to say the best place. So we have three ways to learn our framework. And, um, I do these coach week lives where we kind of do a broad overview and I coach people live for a week. And I think our next one's coming up mid April. Uh, and then we have a self-study program called mini masters, which is all of our content. It's just not uh, I, I'm not interacting with you. You're, you're learning from it's for people who probably are more like me, who I used to be as a lone wolf. Um, Oh, oh, uh, I don't know if I want anyone to know all my things. I'm just going to learn the things and, and apply it myself. And then we have our, our, the, the approach that I just talked about called basics bootcamp, which is our 12 week program, where we really, you know, hold your hand and, and, um, and nurture you through the pro- the process and all three of those are on my website, mastermindparenting.com. And so it lays out um, all three of those options. Beautiful. And you talk a lot about this
0: and other things on your podcast. Can you just share with us the name of your podcast again?
1: Yeah, it's the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. Um, I have four and a half years worth of episodes every single nice. week. Um, this framework, we recently did a series where we really spelled out this framework. We, I say we, but it's me. Um, unless I interview someone like you for my podcast. And um, and so, yeah, so there's tons of episodes. So go and subscribe to my podcast and start binge listening. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I just want to say... Um, to our listeners that
0: the work that you do is so aligned with the work that we do. And, you know, you and I talked about this offline. And so whether you're in the midst of divorce or you're post divorce, uh, I know for me, I was so relieved to be post-divorce after my three and a half year journey. And, and then, and then what, presented to me were the lessons I still needed to learn. And oftentimes they came through my angry son. And so if that's you, and if you're like struggling with your kids, single parenting is overwhelming. Going through a divorce is overwhelming for everyone reach out listen to randy's podcast check out her website what she does is brilliant and it's just going to continue the growth that you're experiencing in listening to and working with journey beyond divorce and so randy i love what you do and i so appreciate you coming and and sharing that framework with us i just think it's going to help so many Our free Rapid Relief Call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today.
1: you. I know I've loved connecting with you and I agree. We are so aligned and, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's so fun to be able to connect with someone else. And just to know we're speaking the same language, even like, I love how you brought in halt to the end wing. I will be crediting you for that because it's exactly what we're doing there. And I just think that the more, Conversations we're willing to have about these hard topics. I think it takes the stigma out of it. I think that it helps people to realize like you do not need to suffer by yourself. We want to love you up and wrap you up and 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 you deserve nurturing too. You know, yeah. like it's 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 hard to be a parent. It's hard to go through a divorce. And you're raising humans, which is the most important thing. And I think most of us know that, and we put so much pressure on ourselves and we want to be so perfect and to get it right. And, and I think you and I are both just here to say, we got you, we got you.
0: Yeah. And, and what you learned in your family of origin is not going to be enough. And so, and so this is an opportunity to connect with a woman who has studied and who has coached and, and who has such a, a kind and compassionate approach both to parent and child. And so that's only going to serve everyone. The last thing I want to say is you have a free quiz, which I think is really cool that people can kind of jump right on. Can you mention that? All of this is going to be in the show notes, but but please do mention that.
1: Yes, you can go take this quiz. We we created a quiz and you go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash S- dash quiz which stands for strong-willed child. So it's SWC-QUIZ. And it's just, I created it with a pediatrician. It's about 10 questions. So if you're like, hmm, I wonder if my child is strong-willed. This pediatrician and I, we sat down, we went over, we came up with 10 questions. And so once you take that quiz, then it'll take you to the podcast, really laying out the nice framework and some other resources. And we'll start giving you resources right away. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you,
0: Randy, so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So fun. And we'll be back real soon with another episode of All Things Parenting. Until then, you take care. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.